Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hey, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm joined here with my co-host, Emily Schiltz. Hey. Emily, how you doing? Great. Awesome. We are going to be doing part two of the interview with Allie Fallon. Yeah, it's going to be incredible. Part one was amazing. Mm-hmm. Loved it. And I can't wait to dive into part two. And we're going to talk a little bit in part two about writing. Yeah. I love to write. Yeah, Emily, I do too. Do you love to write? Yeah. Are you I, sure? Yeah, I've tried to pick up like a couple blogs a couple times, like trying to start. You tried to pick up blogs? Well, no, Blogs no, no. are hard to pick up. You pick <laughs> up the computer? Do you pick up mm-hmm. the website? Or yeah. how do you pick those up? Yep. Oh, okay. Um, so <laughs> tried to start them a couple times, but I'm, I have really hard times with writing commitment issues. Uh, Not normal commitment issues, right. but writing commitment issues. So they've never really stuck. I think each blog has like maybe a post or two on it. <laughs> I feel like I did that in college too. Yeah. It's like you didn't even know what you're writing about. And you know, all three people, like your grandmother, your aunt, and your mm-hmm. mom, you know, read the, and they they would like comment, like, oh, this is so good. Right. Keep writing, encouraging yeah. that writing, you know? Yeah. But I, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that writing has been such a healing process for me. It's a great process for, um, for healing for anybody. And I'm excited about um, hearing Allie talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, but you still, you journal, right? Uh-huh. I mean, we I talk do. about journaling a lot when yeah. it comes to even in your quiet time. Yep. And, um, do you have any, like any funny experiences about journaling or writing or <laughs> come on, you had to write, and, you, yeah. you, surely you wrote stories or novels or something or like mystery novels stories in like third grade, in yeah. third grade or, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've kept a journal for a super long time. Um, I think my mom like encouraged that when I was young. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm certain that that's where that came from. Um, like we used to actually, my mom and I used to have like a, a conflict journal that okay. we kept, and so I was you know an angsty teenager and like really struggled to tell her how I was feeling, and she had a really hard time receiving my frustration, and so we used to pass this journal you back, and, it forth. back and forth, and so okay. like I would write in it when I was super mad at her and like would just go to my room and write in this journal and like leave your, it on her number bed. two pencil? Would it break a few times? Or yeah. Was that the time you used the click pencils? You know, it's oh, like yeah, click, mechanical click, click. pencils. The mechanical pencils. Yeah. And then the lead would break. Uh-huh. And yeah. Yep. So we'd pass that back and forth. Like I'd tell her how much I hated her and why she like <laughs> made me so mad. And she would just, you know, like a good mom be like, hey, I, I'm so sorry that you felt this way, but this is why I made that decision. So that was wow. good. Um, but one of the funny things to think about is because I've been journaling so long, I met my husband in fourth grade. You met your husband I in fourth grade. I met my grade. husband in fourth grade. So Kent. we went through Kent. We went through mm-hmm. elementary, junior high, high school, college, and got married in college. Um, and I don't know. I distinctly remember I need to dig this journal up so bad. Um, but it was a green journal with like a pink flower on it that I journaled in in fourth grade. I can picture it to this day. And I had the biggest crush on him. I mean, it was ridiculous. <laughs> well, biggest crush on Why him. Why wouldn't you? I, yeah, he's yeah. pretty cute. Um, and I distinctly remember at the time I was Emily Smith. Okay. Um, and I distinctly remember like signing my name over and over and over in this journal, Emily Schiltz, Emily Schiltz, wow. um, Emily Gale Schiltz, you know, all <laughs> these things. And like, who knew that that's is. me? That's my name now. But Man. that's probably my funniest writing story, I guess. Funniest I don't know if I have any funny experience. writing stories. When I was in third grade, I used to write mystery stories. Oh. I was like all into Were you detective the main character? stories. No, I can't remember what I named the main character. It was, so it wasn't like know. a Michael Scott, Michael, but what's it was his name? Kind of like Michael Scarn, Michael Scarn. 
scarred from the office. Yeah, yeah, it was basically like that because I wanted to be that main character. I like um, actually had a detective cloak, you know, the long coat, the yeah, like, trench, like a coat. trench coat. I had like a, but a detective one. It was like oh. the khaki one. Okay. You know what I mean? Yes. And then I had like the spy glasses and all those. And I would like go out and play in, in the yard fun. and I'd create these adventures and I'd go write about them. That's really cool. It was, no, it's really nerdy. That do was you not have cool any of those still? I hope not. My mom I probably does. So. So I gotta call Brenda. Please do not call Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> and ask her for these. It'd be so embarrassing. Yeah, so I'm going to go call Brenda um, while you guys listen to part two of the interview with Davey and Allie. All right, we're back with Allie Fallon. This is the second part of this interview. Allie, good to have you back. Thanks. And we kind of left off the last interview with... Um, talking about this idea of hiding, this idea of shame. And when you're in circumstances like anything, really any pain that you're going through, where now everybody sees your brokenness, they see what you've either been a victim of or something that you've done, whether it's self-inflicted or other inflicted pain, and you're not put together like you want to be. And now I want to talk about that in the context of church, because especially divorce carries with it this stigma. It carries with it, and you know, there's been so many... There's just been there's been so many um, I feel like divorcees that I mean they have trouble stepping into church because of that or the church has done a lot of wrongs mm-hmm. toward divorcees and so would you just talk to us a little bit about your experience with that over the past almost two years as you've tried to step you know if you, as you've stepped into church community what where have you seen churches do that right where have you seen them do it wrong what was that like for you yeah. Um, well, I can say what it was like for me. It's hard to know, like there's your, there's my perception of things based on the hurt that I felt. And also, um, my perception is just my perception. So, but I, I'll say that after my ex-husband and I split up, I had a dozen Sunday mornings at least where I would get in the car and drive to church on a Sunday morning and sit in the parking lot and Mm. sit there. And I couldn't get myself out of the car. Um, And then plenty of other Sunday mornings too where I would think I should get up and go to church but couldn't make myself do it. But I I think that feeling of sort of like sitting in the parking lot in my car looking out the windows at these families, you know, I I would notice like families like beautifully dressed, put together families who are walking into the church building and I would just think like I can't possibly scrape myself out of this. I can't I feel like I'm like literally on a different planet right. than these people are. And And yet um, if we're honest, many of them have more oh, stuff going on behind closed doors than what you did. Totally. So they just hadn't made the external severance. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. And I think, you know, I mean it's all it that's all part of my process too. Yeah. I don't feel like um there are a lot of ways I've been wronged by church in my life. I don't feel like that was I don't feel like it was anything that the church did necessarily yeah. that mm-hmm. made it hard for me to keep coming back. It just is hard to keep coming back yeah. when you're grieving. Wow. Um, I think it's hard yeah, to... Yeah, in any situation. Oh. Most divorce or anything, yeah. Yeah. When you're I think broken. Grief. Isn't that, isn't that crazy, though, that like <laughs> when you're broken and you're grieving, what should be the first place that you want to go? Yeah. Church. Right. But for whatever reason, whether it's like, yeah. you know, maybe it's a combination of all the above, but the environment that we've created as church or just a ploy by the yeah. enemy... For you yeah. not to get healing, right? He puts these lies inside of totally. you that says, "Oh, you don't want to go in there, right?" Because they're going to see you as X, Y, and Z, right? 
when reality, that's what you need the most yep. is that community. So yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry. To no, you're but. fine. I did. A, there were there were a couple of moments, things that people did for me that felt really, really healing. Like mm. my, some of my friends who you know are pastors or pastors' wives or um, really involved with the church. And one of them was Matt, who you met. Yeah. Um, he, I would see him every morning at the Post, which is the coffee mm-hmm. shop where I go to do my writing and work. And he's a pastor of a church here in Nashville. And he would always ask me how I was doing. Um, you know, he knew of my story sort right. of because he had seen, you know, whatever. Um, I have a public-facing platform, right. so whatever I had right. shared publicly, he knew. Never asked any questions. And he did say to me one time, I'll never forget him saying, you know, if you want to come to our church, you can just sit in the back and we'll just give you space and let you heal. Wow. Which I didn't even know how much I needed to hear that until he said that. It was like a sense of safety that nobody's going to try to push me to to like do anything I don't want to do. Right. Or you do feel, you already feel so exposed, especially with something like divorce, you feel so exposed right. that you just need privacy. It's mm. like, I just need... To have nobody yep. ask me Anonymity, any questions, and bit. I don't yep. really want to cry about it with you. I don't even know you, and <laughs> right, you know, like right. I just need like the safety of knowing I can just sit in the back row. Yeah. And I know a lot of times people think, um, like in churches, you know, they, they want to reach out, and it's out of a place mm. of kindness and absolutely and genuineness. But there is an extent to which, like, it's nice to just yeah, obviously reach out. Like, we love you. We're so glad you're here. Mm. And we're not going to like. We're not going to pry. We're not right. going to try to get in your situation. Yeah. You know, um, be the busybodies that just want to know the, the scoop. Exactly. Yeah. I do think there, that is another piece of it too. Mm-hmm. Is that um, you feel pretty distrustful mm-hmm. when you've been betrayed. Absolutely. Yeah. The way I was betrayed, I felt really distrustful of just about everybody. So mm. I didn't really want to share details of the situation with anybody who I wasn't positive was for me. Yeah. And. Um, so yeah, I was holding my cards really close yeah, wow. and needed there to be just, you know, like a few people who mm-hmm. who knew who like were in on the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so some of that I think is just there's nothing you can necessarily do to fix it except for just be ready with there with open arms whenever a person is ready to yeah. come back. I think it's actually probably really healthy for us at some season in our lives to say, like, I just need to take a break. I need to hit the pause button. I'm going to church every Sunday morning. So to just give people permission to do that, if that feels right for them, and let them come back when they're ready to come back. Yeah. Without any sort of, like, thank God you're back, prodigal child. Mm -hmm. You you know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of just like, you know. Yep, absolutely. We love you. Right. We're here for you. What? How can we do? How can we help you? Right. How can we support? And that was the other thing. I mean, I have a lot of other friends who just called and said, I don't want to know any details to the story. I just want you to know I'm here for you. I love you. How can I help? They sent flowers. They brought over meals. They invited me. I had one friend who would call me probably two nights a week and say, um, I made such and such for dinner. It's gluten-free. Come on over. And I would go sit with her and her husband and their kids and eat dinner. Mm. So being invited into that community, not being expected to share anything I didn't feel like sharing, that was all really wonderful and helpful. And Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've had a couple conversations with like, you know, some divorcees in our church. And I think they said one of the reasons that they um, stayed at our church is because in the few times I would talk about divorce, it was definitely not in the same package in the same way that they thought the church would talk Mm -hmm. about it or that they'd heard the church talk about it before. And so there's different types of churches, right? So different philosophies on this, but, um, you know, 
I feel like that, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you probably had a good, fairly good church experience, at least from a theology yeah. or doctrinal standpoint, yeah. where you, you've experienced this like welcoming of like, especially from the pastor, like, hey, just come in and just heal, right. you know? Right. Whereas, you know, one of the ways that I've talked about divorce, even from stage, is, you know, divorcees oftentimes because of the stigma that the church puts on it. They feel like that they now can't be used by God, and you know, mm. you know, they can't be, they can't step into the fullness of what because they're now, for whatever reason, like l- they've sinned or they. When you think of the absurdity of that, yeah, given yeah. like the characters of the Bible, right. and David's called a God, a man after God's own heart, right? You know, <laughs> it, like the absurdity, it doesn't make any sense, yep. but it is. That's our shame talking to us, it's telling exactly us what like. It is. Yep. And I, I will say, now that you bring that up, that is one thing that still to this day remains very hard for me mm. to sit through sermons that where a pastor says anything about marriage or divorce. Um, I hear it in a very different way now than I heard it before yeah. because I think... You're sensitive to it. Oh, mm-hmm. and especially... Um, the I feel really, really passionately that when especially male pastors talk about how a wife should act in a marriage. Mm. I just think like you just you need to know first of all that there are women sitting in your audience who you who are in abusive relationships yeah. who would never ever yeah. tell you that their husband is abusive. Yeah. In one way shape or form. Statistics say 30% of domestic partnerships at some point in the partnership there will yeah. be some kind of physical violence. 30% Thirty percent. That's wow. huge. It means there are people sitting in your audience who have had some kind of physical violence um you know, a physical violence against them who have never talked about it, yep. who don't know how to talk about it. They they feel like it's a deep dark secret, right. you know. Uh, and and I think we need to be really sensitive Very to sensitive convincing that, yeah. people to stay in marriages that are dangerous for them, right? Spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever. So, um, like we just as pastors who you have an incredible responsibility, you just need to be privy to the fact that there that that's happening. Yeah. And I think most pastors are not ill. They're not ill-hearted about it at no, all. Yeah. They just don't just have maybe exposure. Don't know. Yeah, exactly. And so I feel um, like that. I mean, it's just been recently for me that I've felt like I've gotten a little bit more of that exposure. And it's partially because of our story, right. where we've been thrust into pain and brokenness, and so now it's opened ourselves up to all of these other stories of pain and brokenness. And I'm going. Right. It was it I, I now am more so much more empathetic mm-hmm. toward people who are walking through any kind of pain and realize that the issue of divorce particularly is not as black and white right. as what oftentimes the church tries to paint what yes. scripture says about it. Yes. Because, you know, Jesus made some pretty dogmatic statements mm. and, and the church really will just focus on those like unless you know, you have been divorced for marital unfaithfulness, right? You're this, right. you're committing adultery, and then you can't remarry because right. that person will be committing adultery too, right? So the church takes that and goes, "There's only one way right. that you can justifiably before God right. be divorced, and that's marital unfaithfulness. That's if your partner sleeps with someone else, right? Yeah. But it's like, well, what does the Bible say about abuse? Right? Because do would would we really condone? Right? Would I sit in there sit with someone in my congregation, knowing that? This woman is being abused at home. Mm-hmm. Look at her and say, "Nope, you just need to stick it out." Right. I mean, he's going to give you a black eye. He's going to, he's going to throw you against the wall. He's going to, but you just need to stick it out. Right. And somehow, it's like, 
What? Yeah, I do think it is one of the spiritual abuse is one of the most dangerous forms of abuse. And I call yeah. it that because it is, you have to recognize that, like, when you attach God's name to something, that it carries a greater weight right, to it. Right. So if you're telling a woman um, that, you know, it pleases God for her to continue fighting for her marriage or that, you know, she needs to figure out how to act differently so she can change his behavior, it, um, there, I mean, women are taking that seriously. Yeah. And whether we know we are or not, like, I, I mean, I feel, I've said this to you, but there was so much abuse happening in my marriage. And it wasn't until the day that I found out about the infidelity, that was the day that I, that it finally clicked for me that this yeah. wasn't going to change and I needed to leave. Um, but it, and it wasn't until months after that that I started going, why, why? was that the release valve for me? It wasn't like in my head I thought mm -hmm. abuse is okay. It's like in your body, in your cells. Because mm -hmm. from the time I was born, I've been raised in the church. I mean, yep. I, I think I just somewhere along the way absorbed this idea that if something was wrong with my marriage, something was wrong with me, and I wow. needed to fix it, you know? Yeah. And so I fought hard to fix it. And right. then there does come a point when you go, I, I can't, it's it's not mine to fix, right. you know? Um, yeah. And that's what's, that's what's so hard is, you know, as I'm like studying, you know, as a pastor knowing, okay, there's going to be people in my church who they get married, they're divorced and remarried in mm -hmm. the church, in the lifespan of the church. I, I'm going to see this. So what's my theology on this? Yeah. Like what are, what's the stance that we're going to have as a church? And when, when, you know, as I study, as I read books, I look at scripture and try to figure out like, wh where do I fall with this? I think where I've found myself... Um, falling is on the line of every situation is unique. Yes. Every one of them. And, and every situation deserves and and requires that you unravel the whole situation yeah. before you can even counsel a couple yeah. into whatever space they're in. And and the reality is, is marriage is such a sacred thing, right? So like, I don't want anybody who's listening to hear us say like, oh, it's, you know, it's not, no, it's such a sacred thing. Right. And it's so much this gift from God that has given us this beautiful picture of covenant relationship with you know Christ and the church and us and Him and this just a beautiful beautiful picture of this. But truly, it, it is so wrapped up in like where where is your heart in this? Yeah. You know, each person coming to the table, each party, right, coming to the table can can only in the quietness of their heart introspectively know whether or not they are truly loving this person mm. the way Christ would want you to love them. Right. And yeah. when you strip all that away and both parties are coming to the table like that, then that's the case. But if one party's using, you know, this thing as an excuse to get out of the relationship for this or this, you know, then then of course there can be all of these different weird situations that have to be assessed and have to be unraveled and have to be. And so mm -hmm. they've got all these different unique spaces where the, and so the church has gone, well, it's everything. So, so it's so much easier to just go, poof, Here's the mandate. Yes. Here's the policy. Right. right. Here's the black and white. Yeah. Because it's messy to be in the gray. Yes. That is a hundred percent. And that's when I think now about what I would say to a pastor who's mm -hmm. like, you know, what? How has your theology changed about divorce? Similar to what you'd say, but I would say before you ever preach about marriage and divorce, just talk to some people who have been divorced. Yeah. Talk to some people who have been in abusive relationships. Talk to some people who have been in relationships with people who have personality disorders right. or who are severely depressed or you know, who have cheated. Right. Talk about what it feels like to experience that kind of betrayal. Talk to someone who has cheated. Yep. You know, and and dig underneath the motives and the what you know. Right. I think 
it's to your point, it's just so much messier. It's not there's nothing about it that's cut and dry or black and white. Right. And um, again, I don't think it's I don't think anybody has any ill intent, but I do think that sometimes when you when you come to a theology without ever hearing someone's mm. story and you speak from that place, you can do a lot more damage than good. There's a book that I wish I could hand to every single pastor ever called Black and White Bible, Black and Blue Wife. Mm. And she unpacks, she shares, she's a woman in her 70s, late 70s, shares the story of her abusive marriage that she stayed in for many years and talks about the theology that you know caused her to stay her and then marriage. how her theology has changed. Oh. It's really, really a powerful story. And I resonated and identified yeah. with a lot of it. So Yeah. Well, if you think of case study, so this is the case study that pops in my mind. You have a guy who knows all the theology of Scripture mm -hmm. and some sick, twisted thing emotionally that's broken in him. He wants to manipulate and control his spouse. Mm -hmm. And so he abuses his wife, but does not, but remains faithful to her mm. sexually to be able to hold her in that relationship. Right. right. What do you do with that, Pastor? Yeah. What do you do with that situation? Especially when you go the black and white on the, I mean, right. there's just so much. And that's, I think that was the situation for me that made me go, it's way more complicated. Yeah, it's more complicated. It's way more complicated than just these black and yeah. white things. And I think that the the good thing is, I think there's lots of good conversations going on in the church today about, you know, let's really unpack these things and let's kind of, you know, stray away from the the these like black and white. That's that's not to say that, you know, we can't call sin sin. We can't, you know, that's not to say that. I think um, I, I think that the problem is is we're we're afraid to step into the gray. We're afraid to step in the messy because we're afraid to like look like we're being um, loose or liberal with right. theology or doctrine. Right. And it's like okay, at the end of the day, what was Jesus after? He was after the heart of the person. Right. So let's start there. Right. And then let's start talking about from there. What is what theology is the study of God? So what is God's like, what, what does God have to say about this situation mm -hmm. right here in this person? Right. In the heart of this person, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, when people start to come awake to themselves and to, to you know, like that feeling I talked about um, on the last episode of like being asked, what would you do if you could right. do whatever you want and you're coming awake to your soul to like really deep part of yourself, things get messy. Yeah. I mean, things get... Things have to come undone. Richard Rohr talks about like it's like a, a dismantling before it can be rebuilt. And so right, right. I think we're so scared of that dismantling. We don't know what yeah. to do with that. We don't know what to do in the middle of that, that we avoid it. And on the other side of that is is like a deeper, richer, truer um, connection to God, yeah. a deeper, richer, truer faith. My faith feels, you know, people ask me like about my theology now and I'm like, don't know. <laughs> don't don't know who cares kind of thing. <laughs> but my faith feels deeper and richer wow. than it's ever felt before. I feel God so close and so much more near to me mm. than I've ever felt him before. Um and I, you know, I feel that that uh richens my connection with other people and yeah. it opens up all kinds of space for me to do the work that I was put here to do and mm. um but it doesn't make as much sense as it made before, right. you know? I mean, I never in a million years if you would have told me that this is where my life would be at 34 years old, I would have laughed in your face. Yep. It's not, it wasn't the plan. Yeah. Well, yeah. you asked me the question at lunch. You said, what's your theology? And I'm like, 
I mean, this is a really funny question because it's yeah. like I studied in you know Armenian Wesleyan yeah. school, so I learned systematic theology from Armenian Wesleyan side, and then I like tried to balance it out by doing all of Wayne Grudem's stuff and systematic. I'm a theology guy. I love theology. Yeah. I love it. I like will I will sit down and read systematic theology by yeah. Wayne Grudem. I'll listen to his whole podcast of him teaching his class. I love it. But I think what happens in church world is so often we get so bent around we're, the, we're like the truth guys, the theology mm-hmm. guys, and we don't think about the fact that like the people, real people in real situations with real brokenness and real right. hurt. And I feel like oftentimes it was the Pharisees that were going theology totally. and Jesus was going, okay, stop, hold on. People. People. Yes. And you when know, you look at people. the people, like the people of scripture, right? you know, you look at the stories of, of Noah and of David and of... Um, Ruth and you know these are yeah. the people that I can identify with them. You know, right. I mean they were all screwed up just like me. Right. So. Well, in the point here's the point. <laughs> the point when we created theology, the point was for us to give give us handholds to be able to help people. Yeah. That's what the point was. It was not to lord this policy over somebody or to be so focused on truth that we lose sight of people and right. how their their relationship with God is. And so, you know, I think I just answer you as like, hey, you know, I just like. Do I believe in free will or the full sovereignty of God? Well, the Bible talks about both, so I believe in both. Yeah. Which one? Which one do you believe, Davy? Yeah. Yes. Both. Yeah. Both, because it's way. If I can, on some level, theology is trying to put in my finite, small, little mind the description of or the study of this infinite God, who is so loving and so so full of truth and so full of grace that we can't even comprehend it. Mm. But He wants relationship with us, and He's focused on people. You know, it was the reason he created us because he wants relationship with us. And so I just, I just think sometimes we're afraid of stepping into the messy. Yeah. I because agree. it's just easier to go black and white. Yep. What were some other like major breakthroughs you feel like that you had emotionally as you're walking through this, this process? You know, I know you've, you've started writing a book or maybe I don't even mm-hmm. know if you finished yeah, this the book yet. Finished. The manuscript's totally mm-hmm. finished. And so maybe was, what are some of the things that you wrote about that were like, this was a huge breakthrough for me, or this is something I really began to unpack inside of me because I feel like there's going to be listeners and they're walking through a similar, similar situation. And for them to just be able to hear, okay, I'm not crazy. Yeah, totally. <laughs> In my craziness, I'm not crazy. Like I totally resonate with that. Right. What were some of those things? Oh man. Um, that night, the, the drinking too much night was the, that was the big turning point moment for me. Um, and then realizing too, people say weird stuff to you. Yeah. But like one really unhelpful piece of advice that I get is like, you're still so young. You're so pretty. Like you'll find someone yeah. like, it's like, what? <laughs> that doesn't, that, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, if that were the, if that were indicative of like having a happy romantic life, then I would already have a happy romantic yeah. life. Yeah, I? totally. So I think. What do you think they say to the 65 year old? They ran out of lines, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I oh, guess. Oh, you're screwed. You're, you're <laughs> out of luck. Sorry. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, again, like putting so much pressure on this external circumstance in order to feel okay about myself, I'm recognizing through this whole process how much I wouldn't have said that I put that much pressure on yeah. a significant other or a spouse or a relationship. But I've realized how even in the divorce process, other people so desperately want for you mm-hmm. to resolve your story. Even when I pitched my manuscript, people would say like, um, "Some guy's going to come along, and he's and you're you're God's going to redeem your story." Mm-hmm. 
And it's like, my story is redeemed. Redeemed like, with God. Like Not there's with a guy. no, yeah, yeah. exactly. Wow. And so, wow. That it's just interesting, like how much external pressure there is yeah. to sort of like close the loop by finding another guy, you know, who's going to like treat you better than the last guy. Mm. And I just feel like that is so, that is such a deviation from what I'm here to learn mm. that it's, but it's a very tempting deviation. Yep. I find myself going there sometimes like, yeah, I mean, that wouldn't that be nice if yeah, that was just yeah. the whole answer to the story was like, well, just picked a bad one, yep. got a bad apple, you know? Wow. And I just think um, it's, so, it's so tempting to our egos to think mm. that when we've been betrayed or whatever, that um, it's also like it will steal all of, it will steal all of the beauty. Mm. Like even thinking of your message, you know, that God's not going to waste our pain. Mm. I think that is true in as much as we're willing to accept the pain. Yeah. But we can push the pain to the side and protect ourselves against it and then the pain will be wasted. Yeah. So it's there's an element of our choosing in it too, I think, because I in those moments when I'm sort of when I let my ego go that direction, I do think there's a there's a mm -hmm. part of that that's like um I'll let this whole season pass me by and not really learn what it was trying to teach me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that is true. Well, I mean, I feel that I, I think I feel that too. That's really amazing that you just said that because I feel like that's been a recent thought for me, of like, Lord, I want to make sure I'm. I mean, all this that I've gone through, mm -hmm. right? Like, I don't want anything to be wasted. In this. Right. But not necessarily externally. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I want. I want to make sure people are impacted by this outside of me. Right. But like, don't let me go through this. And and me be the one that prevents you from doing everything you were intending to right. do in me. Yeah. Through this. Yes. That, uh, another Don't let me huge... waste this season of what this is. Yes. Yeah. Another wow. huge lesson for me has just been like, get out of your own way. Mm. You know, like uh, I've had this visual image of just getting in the flow. It's like get in the river. You know, like in the summer when you when you like ride the river, like in yeah, a tube or whatever. Right. It's like we spend so much of our lives fighting against what God is already trying to do. And if we can just get into the flow, mm. I felt like God said to me almost a year ago, let it be easy. Just let it be wow. so easy. And it doesn't mean it's painless yep. when you do that, right. but it is so easy because the things, you just like let things unfold as they're yep. meant to unfold. You don't feel like you're constantly fighting this uphill yeah. battle. Um, but instead, I do most of this like gripping and striving, striving and, and trying mm -hmm. and fighting and um, well you're trying to garner control because yeah. there's like so much of your life that feels out of control yes. so you're going oh i got to grasp on yes. for something some yes. kind of thing that allows me to feel like i'm in control of this mm -hmm. because we really want to be in control even right. though that's the greatest illusion totally <laughs> and one to thing i say in my book is you can either be in control or you can be in love but you can't be in both wow and so that has been as i focus on just letting go yeah. letting it go getting in the flow letting it be easy I'm trusting that there is a force of love that's carrying me where I was always meant to go that I, I would never have picked that direction for mm -hmm. myself. I mean, even here, you know, we, I said this at lunch too, that one of the frustrating things for me looking back is thinking like, I really did make the decision to marry my husband mm -hmm. because I thought that was God's will for me. I yeah. thought I was doing the right thing. I, I, I mean, to the very best of my ability in that moment, I did the only thing I thought was right to do, right. which was that, and how on earth did that end me, ha, land me here, yeah. you know, which feels like a bait and switch kind of. Mm. I mean, it, that has been a wrestling in my faith. It's like, God, can I even did trust you? Did you do you? this? Yeah, Did you, totally. do, did you, 
You did you know all along that this was going to happen? You know, like screw you. Hey, I'm with you. We moved to Indianapolis uh, because we knew God called us to move to Indianapolis, yeah. and then it was here that well in Indianapolis. I'm in Nashville right now, but in Indianapolis yeah. where our home was broken into and yeah. Amanda was murdered, and I'm like, wait, you moved us here knowing that this was going to happen? Yeah. Hold on a second, and it can feel that way. Right. I don't even know if I have an answer for that. Yeah, I don't know. I that wish I, I did either. have an answer for that. You know. And. I mean, I think the more stories that I hear, the more I think like trying to figure out, I will often look back at my story and think like, should have known, should have seen mm-hmm. it coming, didn't didn't pay attention to the red flags, you know. I, I think that maybe is missing it a little bit mm-hmm. because the other thing I feel like God has reassured me is like, you cannot mess this up. You just mm-hmm. can't. You can, you know, like we'll try in all our ways to mess it up and mm-hmm. to get off track. There's just no such thing as messing it up. Mm. He, I've, I have um, been just like amazed and in awe mm. at how God has brought opportunities and people yep. and, back around to me again and again and again. Sometimes I sort of laugh to myself because I'm like, oh, I feel like I've walked around this block 17,000 <laughs> times. Thanks again for this. But yeah. it's like in his great grace, in mm. his great love for us, he will not let us off the hook. He's yeah. not going to... You know, if you don't get it the first time, he'll bring it around again. Right. If you don't get it that time, he'll bring it around again. Lesson repeated until lesson learned. Yes. Proverbs 69 says, man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Mm. It's like everything that we can do in our own striving to try to map out our yeah. route. Right. And God's like, I'm going to be the one that establishes yeah. your steps because his goal for us is is becoming more like him, Christ likeness. Yeah. And he's going to he's going to win that. Right. He's going to win the day with that. Right. Like he he will perfect our faith, right? Mm-hmm. He will finish what he started in us. Yeah. And it might be the long way around. Totally. Like the children of Israel, right? And they're going 40 years in the in the wilderness. Yeah. Or sometimes we might actually follow and get it right and yeah. it be a little bit shorter of a process, but either way, yeah. He's going to get us to that place. I wrote the other day on Instagram I said something to the effect of, if you have to go around the same block 17,000 times to learn the lesson, mm. then so be it. It takes exactly as long as it takes. Yeah. And then wow. I said, but when you're ready to get off the roller coaster, the answer is the simplest and hardest thing you'll ever do. Mm. Surrender. Let go. Wow. Wow. And that has been the theme of my last year. It's like, I feel, you know, like sometimes really again. Mm. <laughs> Here I am again. Yep. Um, But also, you know, I mean, it takes every time the lesson carves a deeper rut and it takes exactly as long as it takes. And then you finally go, okay, I'm done fighting against you, God. And I'm ready to just, you know, this will be less painful if I just let it happen Mm. exactly the way that it was always meant to happen. Wow. Yeah. Now, you and I have talked about some things that you've done uh, and that, you know, maybe things that were implemented to your life or things Mm. are already were already implemented into your life, such as writing, right. that has really helped you in the healing process because divorce has its own set of trauma. Mm-hmm. And so talk about that a little bit. What 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 are some things? I know I know yoga's been a big thing for you. Yeah. Or, you know, and that's been so maybe spend a second talking about that, okay. why that's been impactful for you. But also I want to land and talk a lot about this writing thing. Because that's yeah. what you do. That's yeah. who you are. That you helped me write my book and um, and so I want I want to talk about for the benefit of the listener why writing mm-hmm. is so important in the process of healing through um, trauma walking through pain mm-hmm. I think for anybody totally and I, everybody right I fully believe for anybody that's why what's why I do what I do teaching these workshops because right. I think it's really powerful for even people who say like oh I'm not a writer 
right. I watch them have these powerful breakthroughs when they and research shows that it's it is yeah. a powerful tool for breakthrough yeah. too. Okay, so, so before riding, so yoga. A okay, bit. so well, yoga. There's a lot of research also about yoga that shows um, it's one of the most powerful ways to heal from trauma, especially PTSD. They've right. used this a lot with soldiers who come back from war. Yep. They also so use I've CrossFit. Seen that so feature. I just decided to do a more intense version of it. That's it. <laughs> I think anything. You know, we hold truths in our body that are too big for our yeah. mind. So anything wow. where you're getting your body moving, I mean, I have I was a long-distance runner before I started doing yoga, and I think running is another yep. a, a great way to get into your body and out of your head, you know, to get yep. your brain to turn off for just a second and start to experience yeah. what's actually happening in your body. So um, whatever that is, like experiential therapy is another mm. version of that, yoga, CrossFit, running, whatever yep. gets you up and moving, I think, and sweating and, yep. you know, is, is really Exerting some of that powerful. energy, yeah. getting that anxiety yeah. out, the stress, yep. Totally. That's great. And, and then, then writing, writing. I've writing has been a go-to for me since I was very young. I remember like being as young as fourth grade and keeping journals. Mm. And um, it isn't in, wasn't until recently that I started reading all of the research that says writing is one of the most powerful ways to create positive change in your life. So it wow. can reduce your anxiety. It can cur- curb depression. It can improve your sleep. It can he- speed the healing process from illness or injury. It's a fantastic way to process grief and trauma. It's um, or been really powerful for people who are reco- in recovery from addiction yeah. to map their recovery process from addiction, keep them on the wagon, and um, so so yeah. It's and I and I've watched this as I've worked with authors over the years. I've worked with a lot of authors who have been really successful externally, like you know, writing and selling yep. hundreds or hundreds of thousands of copies of their books, or hitting yep. the New York Times list, or whatever. But for me, the more satisfying thing is watching how healing it is to see someone mm. tell their story. Yeah, I think there are a lot of reasons for this. One reason that feels you know profound for me is that we talked earlier about the ability to show up with yep. your whole heart in your life and tell the truth about yourself. There's something about doing that on the page first that helps you to do that in other mm. areas of your life. There's a safety on the page. It's like nobody's ever going to read this except nobody ever has to read this except for you if you don't want them to. And um, it teaches us, I think, how to be yeah. honest with ourselves first. And until we're honest with ourselves, we can't really be honest with other people. So that's one really powerful way that yeah. I've seen it shift for me and for other for other writers I've worked with. Um, uh, I think what it, I think what it did for me is it it helped me put language to the things that I was feeling. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Sometimes you just don't you don't really know, especially when trauma hits and people are like, "Hey, what you know?" You try you're asked to describe it in different mm-hmm. settings, different different circumstances, and you're like, "I don't know. I can't put language to it." Like there's right. this there's all this emotion that I'm feeling, and I and I and it feels like the emotion is overtaking you, yes. and you're out of control of it. Yeah. And so what was so helpful for me was um, one, I I'm a pastor, so I'm I preach. Mm-hmm. So, you know, two months into it, I'm I'm going back to preaching. And so that helped me to at least start to put language to it. But there was something that was in that was that was even uh ratcheted up a little bit more about writing. Because it was like now this thoughtful process of like pinning yeah. what exactly was going on and is going on in my heart. And it felt like that I was able to then take those thoughts and those feelings and put them in their place. Yeah. And create narrative around it, and um, and and it it was almost like 
when scripture says, take every thought captive mm. and make it a slave to Christ, yeah. I, it's like, that was the healing process for yeah. me. It was this like, okay, here's this thing I'm feeling. I don't know how to describe it. So let me try to describe it a little bit. Let me mm. try to, this doesn't make any, I know this doesn't make any sense. And then I'd like put language around it. I put it there on the paper and someone would read it and they go, oh my gosh, that's unbelievable. That makes yeah. perfect sense. And I'm like, R- really? And now I've just put that thing that used to be more powerful than me in its place, yes. and by the by the the power of Jesus was able to now take it captive. Yep. And it's like it's like that helped me process that. Yeah. And then as I did that over and over and over and over, I had this whole timeline of things mm-hmm. where I was looking at the faithfulness of God. Right. And I'm going, yes. Oh my gosh, God is in all of this. Yeah. I could see the like the the thumbprints of God yeah. through the whole story, and it brought this unique perspective into my story. Going. Okay, one, God hasn't abandoned me. I'm not alone mm-hmm. in this. And two, this isn't more powerful than me. Anymore. Right. Yeah. I love that. You know? I love that. And they say that like with trauma and healing from that, that cognitive therapy, that speaking mm-hmm. it out loud, that forcing yourself to be in that situation. I remember the first time when I wrote the first chapter and I emailed it to you right yeah. away. Like I wrote the first chapter of the book and I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna be allowed to publish this because it's super raw. Yeah. And it's super real. And I can't believe I just wrote this yeah. because it it started with me walking in to find Amanda and then yep. and then started the story from there. And um, I said, but even if I'm not, I'm not allowed to publish this, that was the most healing thing I've done yet in this journey because I just needed it was it it had me captive and I needed to reverse the roles there. And so okay. right there, in my living or my kitchen table. I took that thought captive. I took that whole situation captive, that whole traumatic experience just by writing it down. I love that. I mean, that's I've I hear that over and over and over and over again from authors that I work with. There's yeah. something really profound and miraculous that happens. Even as one of the cool things as I watch authors do this is I'll teach a story structure. That's yeah. just a really right. basic ancient structure of how right. stories work. And almost always when I'm working with an author who's who's wanting to write their story, we map out the story on the structure. And all the way up, like 80% of the way through it, until the resolution, the story has happened. And they look at it and they'll go, wait a second, like the last mm-hmm. 20%, the resolution part hasn't happened yet. And I, I tell them, because I've watched this happen so many times, as you begin to write it, the resolution will happen. It'll happen. It happens again and again it's and so again. True. Because there's something about pointing your brain in that direction, you realize like the resolution is coming. Yep. And it's almost like as you move through the writing process, it creates yep. the resolution it that does. you know is meant to be there. So it's so amazing. It's, powerful. it's just miraculous. Well, I can't tell you how many chapters I started with certain intent. Yeah. I was like, I, that's okay, my end goal is going to be over there. Mm-hmm. And I started it, and then I realized, no way, I'm going in a different yeah. direction. But this is exactly the direction it needs to go. And it's because even in the process of doing that, God was teaching me things. I was healing through things. And I'm going... Whoa, and and the resolution wasn't there yet until I finished that chapter. I'm like, wow, holy there cow. There it is. There it is. Yeah. And it was a, such a pro- – I mean, I, I couldn't recommend it to anybody more, like sitting down. And I think it's just important in your faith to just sit down and journal. Totally. And to be able to have this log of like, here's what God's done in my life. And, you know, be able to like create – we all have a story. And so be able to like um, not create your narrative – yeah. But to tell your narrative because, you know, God's the author of our faith. So I feel like as I was writing the book, I wasn't like the writer. I wasn't mm-hmm. an author. I was a reporter. You become in agreement with what is already yes, true. That's exactly. A, it's like a return 
to right. yourself, uh, right. to coming uh, coming into agreement with what's already true. Yeah, and and I do think that it's the great gift of being a human on this planet that we get to participate in the greater story of humanity mm. and and um, writing in a symbolic way does that for us. It's like uh, we have a narrative I think that happens in the Christian faith sometimes that I think is sort of this is my personal opinion. I think it can be a bit damaging mm. to. Th- we talk about like Jesus, God being our rescuer and our savior as if like we have no, we've got no agency, we've got no weight, mm. we've got no pull, we've got no, I'm just going to sort of sit here and wait for rescue to come. Yeah. And I think the, you know, the the beauty of being here mm-hmm. and part of this is that we participate. Yep, we're participating. And yep. writing has this way of doing that for you that shows you like, I it's I'm not all powerful, I'm right. not in control. But I do get to participate in well, the greater story God's that's already... God's invited us to participate. That's right. when we use the language like, I want to be used by God. Well, people who have a backdrop of use being manipulation, control, abuse, right. they don't like that language because like, I don't want to be used by anybody because right. use has a bad connotation. All that means when people, you hear someone say, you can be used by God, is that he invites you to participate in the narrative. Right. He invites you to participate in what he is doing on this earth to restore things, to bring all mm-hmm. things new, to take all pain and eradicate it, to wipe every tear away. Mm-hmm. And when we begin to see his work in this, it does bring so much healing yeah. in us. Yeah. It's um, writing is is one way that we get to do that. I feel like it's a metaphor almost right. of how we do that even in our lives. Right. So And so you lead these writing workshops all over the country. Mm-hmm. You just started doing these things. Yeah. You know, I mean obviously you've been helping people write for years. Yeah. And uh, but you lead these writing workshops, mm-hmm. and you're going to be leading one in Indianapolis. I am in yes. October coming to Indy. Yeah, what is the date even? October twentieth. You know? Okay, yeah, there we go. October twentieth. It's 20th. a Friday, so I hope that's the right date. I think it's October twentieth. Yep. And so um, I, I'm excited. But I'm gonna, I'm going to be there for awesome. that. And um, and so how would how would a listener if they want to show up for that, whether they're from Indianapolis or from somewhere else, they just want to show up to this writing workshop? How would yeah. they get connected to that? Well, it's on my website, like. AllisonFallon.com. Okay, AllisonFallon.com. Yeah, can you put a yep, link we'll in the show notes? We'll put that in the show notes. Okay, perfect. So there, there, I can send you the specific link to the workshops, yep, and perfect. then they can sign up under the indie, the indie date. Man, that's fantastic. So I mean, what what do you do? What is what are a couple of that stuff that you do with the workshop? So this workshop is specifically, I've worked with hundreds of authors over the years to help them write books and yep. accomplish creative product projects. This workshop is specifically designed for people who are, you know, uh, would are like non-writers or wannabe writers or who have an idea of a story that they want to write but feel like kind of a beginner. And the idea is we're going to use the the act of writing as a way to heal. So yeah. um, we'll be responding to a lot of different writing prompts. And my main goal for the day is to get people started writing and keep them writing. Mm, so help people reconnect with that creative energy that's inside of them, get it flowing so that when they leave the room, it doesn't stop there, that yeah. they can keep keep working on it. And then... For anyone who wants to go deeper, I do one-on-one coaching and stuff too. But um, it's just a great starting place for people who are, who uh, a lot of the people who are coming to the workshops are saying things like, I've always wanted to write a story, but I have no idea where to start. Yeah. Or I have an idea for a book, but it's already been written by someone else. I don't know if it even matters. Mm-hmm. So anyone who's in that place, yep. who has the instinct to write, but doesn't know how to get started, this yep. is the perfect spot for them. You know what I found too, is that like um, whether or not you become published, that writing is such an important process. Oh, such an important like, process. Like, who cares if somebody else reads it or not, you know? <laughs> yeah. Write it. Like, even I heard, like, The Shack, right? Yeah. That wasn't even supposed to be published necessarily. It was just like, I'm just writing this he for my for kids. kids. And then it just... He published that book at Kinko's. 
literally printed the book at Kinko's, had it in the trunk of his car, and was slinging copies from the back of his car at church. And then sold, I can't remember how many copies he sold before he got picked up by his publisher, but he had multiple publishers coming to him, offering him distribution deals because it was doing so well. So now he's sold 26 million copies of that book, and it's a major motion picture. Jeez. So you never know what could happen when you... Yeah. Well, I mean, I, something. I, I mean, I had, had the thought the other day, I was like, whether or not my book got published, it was the most healing thing in the world to write. I love that. It was, it, you just write it. You just sit down, yeah. you start writing, you start seeing everything and it heals you. Yep. And so, I love that. man, this has just been fan. Okay. I'm gonna put you on the spot. Okay. Um, I did not prep you that I was gonna ask this question, but um, of, of if there is one book that you would recommend to a listener, so maybe a book that's helped you along in this process. Yeah. Um, what would that book be? We like to have like a resource of the month. And so we kind of like to yeah put that up there for people to be able to go to. So if there's a book that has helped you in the process of your this past season, your divorce and what that mm-hmm. looks like could be divorce specific, could not be, but what would that book be? Um, my problem is always there's like 10 a bunch that I them. could give you. Throw a couple of them out. That's all right. Okay. One that's really great is called The Artist's Way. Yeah. As it's connected to the writing piece. And it's really, uh, The Artist's Way is written by a woman named Julia Cameron, who's very prolific. Uh-huh. And anything she's written, I would recommend. But The Artist's Way will get you started on a program that keeps you writing every day. So you write cool. for 40 okay. minutes every single morning. And um, that's been really helpful for me. She's the one who got me started journaling yeah. many, many years ago. So that one's been really profound and impactful in my life for a very long time. One that I read right after my marriage ended was called Spiritual Divorce. Mm. Debbie Ford, I think, wrote that one. Okay. And that has been another really, really helpful book that basically gets you to look at yourself Mm. in whatever relationship, whether it's a breakup or a divorce, it doesn't necessarily have to be a divorce, but um, whatever kind of relationship betrayal you feel, it gets you to look at what's happening on your side of the street and look in the mirror. And um, so a hard book to read, but very very good and really helpful. Those are the two that come wow. to mind right away. Those are great. So yeah. spiritual divorce and the artist the way. artist's way. Yeah. Very cool. We'll put those for you listeners. We'll put those on davyblackburn.com at the bottom um, during for the resource of the month. And um, you can you can conveniently just click on that, <laughs> go and purchase those books. Um, and I, I, I want your book to come out. Oh, <laughs> I'm excited about seeing that. So we'll I hope see when that, that gets to happen when soon. That happens. I know. I know that's been a good process for you writing yeah. that. I got to read a little bit of it. It was just fantastic. A little Thanks. bit I read, but I appreciate you so much, Allie, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This, this has been so fun. Been so good. And make sure that you look on the show notes and look on the website for information on the writing workshop that Allie is going to be putting on. Um, it's going to be exciting. You got to meet this gal in person and uh, she would love to help you as you're walking through whatever you're walking through, mm. but be able to start this writing process or continue the writing process and um, and help you maybe even pursue your dreams of getting published. And so um, this, is, this wraps it up for the second part of this interview with Allie Fallon. Thanks so much for joining us on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast and we'll catch you next time. Wow, that was um, that was a really insightful yeah, podcast right. talking about healing, what it even looks like to um, walk into the church yeah. with grief. I know that was really good for me. Just, I mean, as yeah. a pastor, you're just trying to always create environments 
where broken people mm-hmm. can come and feel safe and get healed and then have community around them to walk them toward Jesus. Yeah. I think what's hard is that no one's figured it out. No. <laughs> and so, so together, sticky. like, I think it just, for me, helps helps me to understand the importance of, like, all churches, right? right. Coming together to figure out how we help hurting people. Right. Um, and show Christ's love in that also. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's even more interesting when the leaders of the churches are hurting people themselves, yeah. right? And we're trying to figure that out. And so that's what you've seen here with even Allie as they're starting a church and they're they were trying to they were the ones who were trying to create that environment. And then that environment was, you know, um, upended in their own home. Mm-hmm. And so then they're stepping into or she's stepping into these new environments where hopefully healing is able to take place. Yeah. And so, you know, actually next month we've got another church leader on the podcast. Um, that's going to be a good, good interview For sure. to talk some more about some of this stuff, the messiness of mm-hmm. brokenness, church world, but how through all of it, nothing is wasted. Yeah. Is there anything else in that interview that really stuck out to you? Um, I think just, just that Allie talked about a lot of different ways that she has personally found yeah. ways to heal um, and experience Jesus in those things. Right. So like yoga is really good because it's like a whole body experience. Yeah. I mean, writing is good for her for a similar similar reason, right? Yeah. But um, that that looks different for everyone. Absolutely. You know? And so I think I'm finding the more and more we do these podcast interviews, the more and more important it is for myself and listeners to yep. figure out what those things are for us. Um Again, before we're in a season where we desperately need it. Yeah. Yeah. We want to provide people tools to help them. And so, one of these tools, again, is this writing workshop that Allie's going to be putting on in Indianapolis, October 20th. I'm telling you, this is going to be a fantastic experience for you. If you've ever thought about writing, if you are walking through trial and you're trying to figure out how to process it, show up to this thing, sign up for it. We'll have on the podcast notes, we'll have a place where you can go and sign up for this writing workshop. We'd love to hang out with you in Mm -hmm. Indy. Come and hang out with us. I'm going to be there. It's going to be a fantastic time. And um, I just think it's super helpful to begin processing this stuff. And so make sure you go on the show notes. And uh, if you're interested, sign up to be a part of that on October 20th. Yeah. If you guys have questions about that event or really questions about anything else, um, please reach out to us um, at hello at resonateindy.com. Um, we'd love to hear from you, hear about how this podcast is um, affecting you. Maybe what are some things that you're learning from it? Um, maybe some things that you'd like for us to talk about here, or maybe even some people suggestions um, of people that you would like to see um, be on the podcast. Yeah. Um, we'd love to hear from you. So again, that's hello at resonateindy.com. Um, the other way that you guys can really help us out and help people out in your communities as well is to rate and review this on whatever um, platform (laughs) that you're listening to this on. So uh, if you don't know, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Mm -hmm. And so rating and reviewing that, all really that does is get us higher um, in in a result, like in a search feed. More exposure. More exposure. um, And then also um, allows more people to see it so um, that we can help more people, that we can help people figure out how to live, learn, and lead through pain. Yeah, and of course, all this wonderful music has been supplied by our good friend Sleeping At Last. You can find his music on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere where music is streamed or sold. And um, why don't we take a listen to the an excerpt from next month's Nothing Is Wasted podcast. We have an interview with Carlos Whitaker. So why don't you take a listen to this excerpt, and we'll see you next month on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. So, I, I mean, I'll never forget, like, it was some some beautiful woman started following me. Mm. Um, and 
I'll, I'll never forget, like, I, it was like a, I can't remember, a direct message or something, like, and it was, it was very godly. It was like, right. oh, like the, the message you spoke yeah. just touched my heart. And yeah, usually the enemy doesn't come in. Oh, no. Like, you know, oh, no. You know, no. It's like this woman with, you know, in lingerie or something. Yeah, no, it's like, no, oh, no. it's a very godly. Yeah, yeah. And I was an like, angel oh, of light, you know? I'm so glad. Yeah. Like, I'm so, you know, and then, well, let me know if I can ever help. Yeah. And then, yeah, you can help. Pray for me for this. Uh, one, one thing leads to another. And then all of a sudden, like, this is all in like private messages. I'm like, oh, nobody will ever even need to know wow. about this. Yeah. And man, I I went on a journey towards a massive emotional affair, mm. um, and was in it for uh, probably eight eight or nine months. Wow. Um, and rock bottom number two was when my wife found out, mm. um, and and it was over. And she took the kids, and I didn't see her for four months. And um, that was rock bottom number two. 